Well, one thing that I think every one of us can relate to and identify with in one way or another are those moments uh, in our lives where we are faced with a critical decision that will actually change the course of our life. If you're young, you're maybe in your teens or your 20s, you've already had some of those events, even if you didn't recognize them for what they were. If you're older, you already know that you've had many of those events or turning points in your life already. I remember when I was a teenager, a young teenager, a foolish teenager, and I was caught stealing something really small and insignificant. It was kind of a foolish thing to do. And I remember I had a decision to make. Would I sin and choose a path of honesty and integrity, or would I go in a different direction? I remember when I was in my early 20s, and Lisa and I were dating at that time, and I remember having her engagement ring underneath the seat of my VW Scirocco for three weeks, driving around the city of Saskatoon, wondering when I would pull this out and actually offer it to her, and knowing that the, that moment, that decision would change the course of my life, especially depending on how she responded. I remember in 1998 uh, being at a place in my life of a very significant decision where I was at a place that I loved, doing work that I loved, and yet sensing the restlessness of God and that God was uprooting me and that it was time to leave and go in a different direction, leaving the things that were familiar and known, leaving a previous career, and being called by God to walk in faith into something that was completely unknown. The reality is is that we make more of these choices every day of our lives than we actually realize. Because you see, every day we make decisions that lead us down a path that sets our lives in a direction that determines where we end up. Small decisions with limited impact on their own, but the cumulative effect of many years has significant implications. You know, just skip that one workout. It's not going to make a difference. Take one more lustful look. Use that credit card one more time. Don't eat a meal together as a family again. You know, any one of those in and of themselves, maybe not a big deal, but they set a pattern of the course of our lives that take us down a path that have a cumulative effect. Day after day, decision after decision. And then one day we, we think suddenly, but it's actually not suddenly, but now we suddenly end up at a place that we didn't want to end up and we ask ourselves, how did I get here? What happened? And it's actually going back to those decisions, those daily decisions of needing wisdom in the moment, needing wisdom for those decisions that we make that are so important uh, for us. I have a couple of visuals for you about decisions that are kind of fun. Um, for those of you who are in construction, there's a free tip. You don't need safety harnesses. Just find a friend who'll grab your ankles. I'm sure that'll work well. That's a good decision. Uh, but decisions vary, right? We, we have decisions that we need to make all the time. And our text today in Ephesians 5 is one that helps us to understand and look at decisions. So I want to encourage you to turn there and I want to start in Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17. Because I want to start with these two verses that are a little bit later on in the chapter that we're going to be focusing on. And I want you to view them as kind of a summary or a lens through which we read the rest of the text. And, and so Paul says this in Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17. 
He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So Paul says here in this text that we need to live not as unwise, but as wise. You don't have a life verse? There's a good one that you might choose. Paul says, be careful how you live every day. Daily choices. See them for what they are. We need wisdom for that. The kind of wisdom that makes the most of every opportunity that actually sees all these choices that we make as an opportunity. And will we make the most of that opportunity? Recognizing that evil is all around us and evil is even stirring within us. When we do that and not live foolishly and we seek this wisdom, then we will understand God's will for us. This is a tremendous promise and one that is such an encouragement as we think about the daily consistent choices that we have to make all the time. I remember another text that impacted me many years ago in 1 Kings chapter 3 when I kind of first really understood at least in a deeper level for different reasons why Solomon would pray this prayer. And his first Kings chapter three is where Solomon has just become now the king of Israel. His father David was this incredible king of Israel, uh, to whom all of the other kings were compared, as we see later on. And Solomon cries out to the Lord. He's been given responsibilities beyond his human capacity or understanding. And then God meets him in a dream, and he asks him what he wants, and he says what he wants, and and, and here's what he cries out for as he's feeling the weight of leadership and all that's in front of him. He says, now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David, but I am only a child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. Solomon asked for wisdom. He said, Lord, give me wisdom. When I think of that, I it reminds me that I have probably felt that and prayed that prayer more times than almost any other prayer. Wisdom is one of those things that I've continually asked God for and prayed for over the years because of feeling so inadequate at times. Give me wisdom, Lord. Help me to know how to lead. Help me to know what to do. I'm in way over my head. Help me to see and lead beyond my years. As I cry out to God in a similar kind of prayer as Solomon. I can relate to that. Paul challenges us to live as wise people to make the most of every opportunity and it gives us this text gives us some really important insights into some really practical decisions for daily living setting the direction of our lives down a path that honors god and allows us to live as he intended or choosing the opposite and going down other paths that are not the same in what god intends so let's read uh, Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 20. It says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, 
has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot in this text. Paul covers a lot of topics. He addresses many things. He talks about sexual immorality. The word that is used here and that is translated in our Bibles is the word porneia. It's a broad word covering any sexual sin where the word pornography comes from. It can refer to incest, casual, indiscriminate sex outside of marriage, sex with a prostitute, illicit or illegal sexual relations. And he says not even a hint of any kind of impurity. And then he talks about greed and the continual desire to have more. Greed in all of its forms. Never being satisfied or content with what you have. And you know, in that Jewish culture, the Jewish understanding was that idolatry was the root of all sin. And that greed was encompassing all sins. And so they saw these two as, as so significant. And then Paul goes on to address how we talk, how we use our tongue, how we handle alcohol. It's not an exhaustive list, but just some really important things to consider because daily decisions around these things have a way of affecting the very course of our lives and take us down a path of one way or another. And you know, I mean, we live in a culture that continually pushes us to eat too much, spend too much, indulge too much in everything imaginable. Whether it's financing options, zero down, no payments for 12 months, try it risk-free for 30 days, girls gone wild, want to supersize that. We don't live in a morally neutral time. The readers of this text didn't live in a morally neutral time. There's a couple of things I want you to see right up front as you think about this passage and this section uh, as a whole. First of all, to see what Paul says at the beginning of this text in verses 1 and 2 about framing what God has done through Jesus Christ. And he says, here's the way Jesus lived. Here's how Jesus modeled this life. The life that you're called to. And then he says, imitate it. Live in that way. And, and we see this pattern that we've talked about in the last number of weeks of, of God's story and our story. So we, we see that in the book of Ephesians overall in chapters 1 to 3 being about God's story and then chapters 4 to 6 being about our story. How do we live into that? And now even in this section, we see that right at the front, the first couple of verses, Paul, in a sense, kind of says, here's God's story. Here's how Jesus lived. Here's how you're called to model that. Follow this example. Walk in the way of love as Jesus did. Love extravagantly and sacrificially. And the shift from verse 2 to 3 is quite striking from Christ's extravagant generosity to a self-centered and self-indulgent life. 
that Paul challenges us not to fall into. And so we see this response that we are called to, to God's story through Jesus, the example that's been given, and we're called to model it. He says that's wisdom. The other thing that I want you to see right up front as you think about this section of Scripture as a whole is, is the why argument. Like in other words, why is this important? Why, why does it matter? I mean, we live in a culture where people, you know, always talk about the fact that, I mean, just, hey, do what you want. It's good for you. It's good for you. You know, no boundaries kind of thing. And yet this is a, a different message that, that Paul's saying here. And why, why is it that it matters? Again, I would say two things that relate to that. First of all, it's the way to live that makes sense. God is the one who created us. God is the one who created us in community for being together with other people. And so these are things that he says are going to cause you to stumble in your relationship because there's a way to live that makes sense. And when you don't, it leads to brokenness and hurt and pain and disillusionment. Second reason is God's wrath and judgment. Because our sin causes broken relationships with God. It says right in this text, no immoral, impure, or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom, but is an idolater. We don't like to talk too much about this. It's not politically correct to talk about God's wrath and God's judgment. But they're real. It matters. And this text clearly points us to them. And so we see the reasons why Paul is saying this matters. Not only does it cause broken relationships between you and others, it causes broken relationship between you and a holy God. And he wants us to see sin for what it is and repent of it. Go in a different direction. And we know that by the extravagant grace of God that there is forgiveness. That there is nothing that we can do that is outside of God's redeeming power as we confess our sins and come before Him. But Paul is also pointing to the fact that sometimes we walk with a limp even when we get forgiveness. And that forgiveness is not the same as the return of all rights and privileges. And sometimes it's kind of hard to put things back in the way they were one time. When certain paths, certain choices, certain things have happened in our lives, decisions that we've made have set us down a course that is hard to just sort of go back. And thank God that He is a God who redeems. But Paul is saying and pointing us to, God is saying and pointing us to this fact that you can avoid this pain if you walk in this way. And so the choices that we make every day are so important. These disciplines of discipleship are so important. As we're called to imitate God in our lives and and how our knowledge of God grows out of our obedience to God. As we walk in obedience to Him, not just knowing the Word, but actually doing what it says, as we talked some about last week. And how our words and actions must align as our faith calls us to live in a certain way. One commentator says this about the Christian faith. He says, the Christian faith is not a passive religion. It is an aggressive pursuit of the productive and beneficial. Quite a strong statement. Tim Keller uh, says a similar thing this way. He says, when we understand the free and extravagant grace of God at work in us, and we're aware that God is the author of our change, God is the only author of our change, then we are set free to put forth the most strenuous effort imaginable. This is the kind of works that Scripture points us to. Not a works of righteousness that saves us, but a works that comes out of our salvation. Out of what God has done. Out of what only God can do. And these disciplines of discipleship that we're called to in Scripture, which is why Paul says, be careful how you live. 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. The days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. As you look up definitions of wisdom, uh, which I did this week, one of the ones that comes up is this one. It says, the ability to make sensible decisions and judgments based on personal knowledge and experience. Personal knowledge and experience. Let's un- unpack those two things a little bit. We, we often associate information with knowledge and wisdom. And yet we live in a world where we have more information than ever before and more confusion than ever before. I think years ago we used to think that lack of information is what causes us not to make good decisions. So if we just get the right information, we could make better choices. But you and I both know the folly of that. It doesn't quite work that way. We're, we're drowning in more information than we've ever had at our fingertips. And yet the bad decisions are still wreaking havoc in our lives. There's a, there's a term that you know too well and you have felt it and experienced it at times. It's called information overload. Right? It's actually a, a technical term used to describe the difficulty of understanding an issue and effectively making decisions when one has too much information about that issue. Interesting. There's also a technical term for it called infobesity. It's a real thing. I looked it up on the internet. It's got to be true. Infobesity. I love that term. Isn't that interesting? Way too much obesity on information. Too much information. One source speculates that we are now exposed to more information in one day than a person in the 15th century would have had in a lifetime. Interesting. Another tech leader speculated that we create as much information in two days as has been created up until 2003, since the beginning of time. I don't know why 2003 seems like an interesting year. I don't know if those stats are true, but one thing that we do know, one thing we do know is that we have more information available to us, more information that is produced, more information that is at our fingertips than we have ever had before in the history of the world. You cannot argue that. We have access to everything. You want to find out about anything, you can get the information. The information can sometimes be staggering and immobilizing. So information we know is not so much what we need. We need obedience. We need understanding to who God is and what He's called us to. And I've, I've quoted John Maxwell many times because I love his quote where I said how there are numerous uh, areas of my life where I'm educated well beyond my obedience. Whether it's in the area of eating or fitness or money management or even spirituality, my issue isn't knowing the right thing to do. It's actually doing the right thing to do. It's obedience. So more education, more information isn't usually what we need. It's following the one that we know, Jesus, by walking in obedience to the things that we know in His Word that leads to transformation by the power of His Spirit. But what about that second part of that definition? What about experience? Experience is a good teacher. Experience helps us to understand things, and it's true. Experience is a good teacher. It does lead to wisdom. But not only is experience a good teacher, it can also be a brutal teacher. When we feel like we have to make all the mistakes ourselves and we have to kind of walk through and experience this ourselves, and sometimes we hear that from others, and maybe you've even said that yourself. But that, number one, it takes a long time, and number two, it can cause a lot of pain. When we feel like we have to come from our own experience rather than learning from the experiences of others, which is why it's so important to be in community and actually to learn from the experiences of others and the pain of others 
So maybe we don't have to experience it ourselves. Knowing the Word of God so that we don't have to experience the pain and the limps ourselves. Which is why Paul is pointing us to this through God's Word. Choose wisdom instead. In verses 8-14, to Paul gives strong language here where he's speaking of light and dark. And right after he speaks about these things to be avoided, sexual sins, sins of the tongue, greed in all its form, he says in verse 8, uh, in the NIV it says it this way, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You were once, you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. I think that's a powerful word about salvation and transformation that happens as we give our lives to Jesus. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. In the message translation, it says it this way, and I, I love the language here. It says, you groped your way through that murk once, but no longer. You're out in the open now. The bright light of Christ makes your way plain. So no more stumbling around. Get on with it. The good, the right, the true. These are actions appropriate for daylight hours. Figure out what will please Christ and then do it. Then Paul, Paul goes on in, in verse 11 in the NIV. He says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Light needs to do its work. And it's this invitation to continually step into the light of Jesus. To continually bring our lives into the light of Christ. Because Light not only reveals things, but light transforms things. As we bring them into the light of Jesus, it transforms and changes things. As Jesus redeems and makes new and forgives and, and makes reconciliation work, it, it transforms things. And so repentance is recognizing that we're on a wrong path and it's turning and going in a different direction. It's setting our face and setting our feet in a different path and choosing to walk in a different way. And in many ways, it's what Paul has been saying throughout, and even last week, the, the text that we looked at, where Paul talked about putting off and putting on. He said, put off your old self, that old sin nature. That's not you anymore. You once were darkness. But now put on your new self. Put on that new nature, that new nature of who you are in Jesus, and walk in that. In other words, don't live the way you used to live because you're no longer the person you used to be. You're changed. You're transformed. Choose another path. Make better choices in God's wisdom. This is God's will. Instead of being drunk with wine, be filled with God's Spirit. Instead of living for yourself with casual and careless sex or a careless tongue and a life that is never satisfied, always wanting more, live with gratitude. Live with thanksgiving. Live with praise. Speaking to one another with psalms of God's Word and wisdom, hymns of God's praise and songs of the Spirit. Allow the Spirit of God to move you and shape you. It will produce a life of thankfulness and a life of wisdom. You know, a number of years ago, an author that I enjoy, uh, and the pastor Andy Stanley, he wrote a book called Ask It. I think the first go-around of it was called The Best Question Ever. And it was grounded in this text in, in verses 15 to 17 that we've looked at today. And the best question ever, or the question that he calls us to continually ask, is this question of what's the wise thing to do? And he frames that in the context of three kind of lenses or three kind of views of the direction that you would look. First of all, looking back. In light of my, our past experience, what's the wise thing to do? 
In other words, learning from the experience of what we've gained from back there and what we have gone through, what is it that is the wise thing to do to go forward? Or secondly, in light of my current circumstances, what's the wise thing to do? Every one of us goes through different seasons of life. And so what season of life are you in? And given the season that you're in, what's the wise thing to do? And then lastly, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing, what's the wise thing to do? Spiritually, morally, professionally, relationally. I think it's such a helpful piece to remind ourselves and ask ourselves the question, what's the story we want to tell to those who come after us? Given our future hopes and dreams and the story that we want to tell looking back on our lives, what is the wise thing to do in this moment? You know, there are three areas that typically prove to be the source of our greatest regret. How we allocate our time, how we spend our money, and how we handle our relationships. And Paul addresses each of these here in this text. And wisdom, you see, begins with a proper understanding of who God is and who we are not. Which is why we need to see and understand God and His story. And then we need to live into it, surrendering and modeling our story after Jesus' example. Remember Solomon, who we talked about earlier on in that passage in 1 Kings 3? The, the, the young king who said, Lord, I'm just a young child, I don't know what to do, who cried out to God for wisdom. And God used him mightily. The end of his life didn't end really well, but God used him really well in his wisdom and granted, granted him wisdom. He wrote the Proverbs. And he says in one of his writings later on that we can read now in Proverbs, Proverbs 9.10, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. May we be careful how we live. Not as unwise, but wise making the most of every opportunity because these days are evil. May God give us wisdom to do that. I'd invite the worship team to come and to lead us in song, and I want to conclude in prayer. Let's pray together. So, Heavenly Father, we, we thank You so much for Your love for us. We thank You again for Your incredible story of grace, for Your story of redemption. We thank You, Lord, that You've given us Your Word, that we can see how You have intended us to live we can see instructions in Your Word that guide us in life and guide us in how to make choices that are productive for our relationships with each other and also our relationship with You. Lord, thank You for Your extravagant grace that no choices that we have made are outside Your ability to redeem, to restore, forgive, and renew. And God, our desire is to walk in Your way so that we don't walk with a limp or with pain that... Um, scars us in one way or another. And Lord, I pray for each one here. I pray for anyone who is, is feeling the weight of bad choices, the weight of sin, the weight of things that have marked them. God, may they know Your grace. May they know Your freedom. May they know Your redemption. May they know Your forgiveness. And God, may You help us to walk in that way in community with each other and with You. And so Lord, thank You for these cautions. Thank You for these guardrails. Thank You for these words of wisdom that help us to live as wise people and not foolish people. Now, Lord, help us to know You and walk in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.